On today's episode of the Farm Advisory Service podcast, we're bringing you the premiere episode of our new sister show, Agriculture. This show, hosted by Mary Jane Laurie, will speak to a range of inspirational people from the farming community with a whole host of interesting tales to tell. Farming is a way of life, and it's as much about the people as it is about the land, crops and livestock. You are listening to Agriculture, a podcast that interviews a range of inspirational people from the farming community, with a whole host of interesting tales to tell. Join us in conversation to find out what drives them and their businesses, where they get their inspiration from, and what they love about agriculture. I am Mary Jane Laurie, and in this episode I'm joined by Pete Eccles, a farm manager who won Agri-Scott Sheep Farmer of the Year, Farmers Weekly Farm Manager and Farmer of the Year for his previous role at Sockland Farm. He has recently taken on a new role in Perthshire, moving from a low-ground farm with rotational grazing to an upland hill farm. Thanks for joining us today, Pete. Can you tell me a bit about your background? Where did you grow up? I was born and raised in East Lothian, a wee arable farm called Curlavrock, just outside Trenent on the Ormiston Road. And uh, my dad farmed sort of 300 acres of combinable crops there right the way through. And I think I managed to persuade him when I was about 10 to get some pet sheep and that was a sort of start of my my livestock interests growing up in an arable farm where did that interest for livestock come from did you have neighboring farms that you were involved in or was it just something that you were always wanting to have a go at yeah animals always just interested me more i was always an animal lover i wanted to be a vet when i was a child my big cousin who i looked up to was studying at, at cambridge and she was doing veterinary I loved all the vet programs. It was all about animals for me. It didn't help that dad would only give me jobs like greasing the combine and uh, sweeping out <laughs> the grain store. So it, it didn't yeah, really all the dirty jobs. ignite my uh, passion for agriculture. And then my aunts, my dad's sisters, both married livestock farmers. So at Easter holidays and summer holidays, I'd be off up there to help out there. So that's where I knew that livestock farming was my, my interest. And were you involved in the arable farm when you were younger? Did you get some tractor jobs and things or were you just always off at your cousin's farms? Yeah, no, I did. I helped at harvest and I helped with bales and I helped with pushing up grain and loading lorries and, and these sort of things. Um, but yeah, it just never really excited me the way working with livestock did. So after your first pet lambs, did you then expand your, your flock a bit or did you go off to university first? Oh, the pet sheep put me off sheep, really. I don't know. <laughs> I think uh, I remember Dad, took the, we took the lambs to Edinburgh Market. It was when it was Edinburgh Market was still open at the Corn Exchange. I think we got £34 for a fat lamb. And then Dad said, well, here's your 50 quid feed bill. And I was like, oh, this I'm due you money. So uh, it kind of didn't really stack up. So... We stopped with the pet sheep and and then it was cattle after that. Um, once I got left school, I decided to invest in a few heifers and bulled them. And then I was lucky enough to borrow a bull from an uncle. And then we sold them with calves at foot and that was quite that did quite well. So that sort of made sense. But the limitation was always the size of the farm and the fact that we'd had no fences and we didn't have any cattle infrastructure. So it was very kind of make it up as we went along for a while. And so did you go to college or university to study agriculture or at this point were you just working at home? Yeah, so I didn't do as well in my exams as I'd hoped and I didn't get into veterinary medicine, unfortunately. Uh, and I decided to take a year out and worked 
at Charles Rivers Laboratories, which was formerly called Inveresk Research. And I kind of did a lot of clinical trials or part of their team that worked on clinical trials with livestock. And uh, yeah, just to sort of figure out what to do next. And then after that, I went to study agriculture. And that's where I um, got really stuck into the farming side of things again. I think my parents always tried to steer me away from farming. But at once it's in the, you know, it's in the blood. Yeah, it's hard to get away from it. So were you uh, studying at SAC at that point? Yeah, so I, I was at King's Buildings, uh, living in Edinburgh, um, met some of my best friends, obviously, that I'm still best pals with today. Um, had three years, decided not to do honours and went off travelling on the back of that. Yeah, took off to Australia and um, did a bit of travelling around Australia, just the usual backpacker stuff. Um, no farming, which is probably one of my biggest regrets. I wish I'd gone out there and done some proper farming or gone to New Zealand and done some farming, but hey-ho. Sometimes you just need to travel and get it out of your system as well, don't you, and do the fun stuff. Although working on some of these amazing farms in Australia where you get to drive these enormous combines uh, looks pretty pretty awesome too. Yeah, for sure. I look at these like things on telly now, and I think obviously social media has now come about. You see it's so much more accessible, and you can find these things. I do remember sitting in internet cafes in Byron Bay trying to think, find a farm to go and work on. I was just obviously not as resourceful as I'd like to think I am now. So I kind of gave up the ghost and just and just traveled around with a fellow group of hippies. And we just had a good time and, and saw Australia and we camped in the woods and surfed and just bummed around. It was great. Don't, don't get me wrong. It was absolutely great, but it wasn't farming. So when you came back home, did you have that, that bug to get back into farming? What did you do when you came home? Came home, uh, absolutely skint, and then went and worked for a fencing contractor for six months. And and at that point, I was sort of just figuring out what I wanted to do next, but learned some great skills working with him. And then I got an opportunity to uh, work on a hill farm for the summer. So I joined a friend through in Lanarkshire, and we did some blacky sheep for a summer. And then... I saw the the advert in the paper, a Scottish farmer it was, for the, the trainee consultancy at SAC. And that's when I uh, joined SAC and I think it was October time, 2011, same year as you. I think it was... Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, because I started in October, to, uh, September 2011. And I think we basically were on the same induction, weren't we? At the same time? Yeah, I think we did the same induction. Yeah, yeah that's where we met. Yeah. yeah. Working for SAC, obviously very different to physically being out and doing the farming. How did you find your your job as a consultant? Do you feel that gave you a lot of skills that you could then use in your later career? Yeah, it certainly opened my eyes, absolutely. And and the training was excellent. I had some great support in, in Donald Dunbar and, and Moira Gallagher. Basil Lohman was working in the office at the time as well. You know, surrounded by these guys, I was getting a great education and also Getting on farm, I was, you know, I took on a big area, Lauderdale. There's a chap, David Kerr, retired after 30 odd years in the role. And I just sort of picked up his subscribers and just sort of got out there and went up to farms. Didn't really, really know what I was talking about, but I was enthusiastic to learn. And uh, I was just keen to find out what was going on and what people were doing. And I loved that side of it. And then if you could get a set of accounts, I remember you know, going on the accounts training and, and, and finding our way around the accounts and how you can start to look at the business and see what's performing well, what's not performing well, or what questions to ask to find out even more about the, the business. And um, that side of it really interested me. 
you, know, you, you definitely get a different side to, to agriculture because often when you're working with a fencing contractor or out doing sheep or something, you get stuck in the day-to-day necessary jobs and there's often less time to sit and look at the accounts. I think, yeah, as a consultant, you get that different aspect to the business. How long did you work at SAC in the end? So I did two and a half years. I did my facts and uh, I wasn't really interested in the agronomy, the crop walking side of things, but I love nutrition. I did a fair bit on livestock nutrition and I did a fair bit on animal health planning. That was my kind of main interests. But I always felt like I was on the wrong team. Like I wanted to be the farmer doing the cool stuff and trying to improve the business rather than help a farmer do it. I wanted to sort of be more invested in it. So I felt like consultancy was great, but I didn't feel like I was a a vital part of that team. I started to think maybe farm management would be a better better, uh, road in for me. When you moved from SAC, you obviously got the job at Suckland. Can you tell us a bit about the farm there, Peter? Where is it and what sort of farm is it? I uh, took on the role as livestock manager at Suckland following uh, the retirement of the previous farm manager who'd been there 54 years. He'd run the business very traditionally, done very well, turning out top quality stock at the local market at St. Boswell's. But I would say didn't really have a business focus. It was it was very much a high okay. input, high output system. Scotch mules, lambing in a shed, corral, everything handled through the pens, through a paddock out. Very labour intensive. And then there was 60 suckler cows which calved all year round. And finishing okay. everything, finishing everything through through the live ring, um, which suited the live ring, but ultimately was quite difficult to manage. And calving cows all year round just didn't appeal to me at all with a you know young family. So, so from my point of view, I was very lucky that uh, there was a there was a group of guys in the borders. The QMS funded grazing group was being held at Perntaton with Jim Logan. And I went along to that and there was, you know, some super guys that have been great mentors to me. Charlie Walker at Barnside, Graham Lofthouse, Giles Henry, Sean Williams at Buclue, real top operators. And this opportunity at Perntate was all looking at uh, subdivision and rotational grazing. Mm-hmm. And I just started to assess Sockland and look at the resources that were there and the fields that were there, the water infrastructure, the shed space we had, and how could we get more from grass without spending a lot of money on more sheds. We were able to, or double the sheep flock over the next few years, but didn't invest in any infrastructure whatsoever, apart from you know improving the sheep handling pens, just through subdivision and, and moving stock, learning how to rotationally graze, which was... You know, it's a journey in itself. It's something that's very difficult to get right. And every year is different. And what, what was the grassland like when you moved there? So obviously it was all it was all permanent grass fields. Did you have a good system of reseeding? And was there any arable crops in the rotation? Or was it, it's a low ground farm, isn't it? But it's not all prime arable ground. There no, is some so yeah, buffer. It's grade three and four. Uh, it's 750 feet at the steading and up to 950 feet at the top. Yeah, it's probably a lowland. I would probably call it upland compared to my arable farm down in East Lothian. But <laughs> it's it's not like a hard farm. It's a very kind farm as well, uh, laid out with good access, with good tracks. But there was no reseeding policy. I don't think, I think the youngest field was seven or eight years old. There was about 250 acres of arable, which was the same fields year after year. And the opportunity was to sort of create a rotation which integrated the arable and the livestock better, gave clean grazing, but also we could 
uh, start to improve the soil health. So there was, you know, muck going on different fields from the cattle. Uh, we were getting lime applied back to the grassland, establishing new pastures, and also introduced forage crops for wintering the stock outside. So the sheep and latterly the cattle was outwintered. So that was all new. So yeah, it's it, it was it's probably unrecognisable to what it was. And being the farm manager, you have to justify all that on a, on a business case, don't you? It's not like you can just go and have a go yourself and see how you get on. But with I suppose with your business head from being a consultant for those few years, you were able to justify, I'm assuming there was a lot of uh, electric fencing and water troughs and reseeding costs and liming. And as you say, how did you justify that expense? What were you aiming for? Yeah, I was very lucky. Richard Callender, the owner at Sockland, is a great guy. He's He gave me the opportunity to farm there and treat it like it was my own. And he was a great mentor to me. We got on tremendously well from day one. To be fair to him, he was up for having a punt. And I think I did try and justify everything and, and show return on the investment and budget and use as many examples that other people had used before to justify it and get the backing of him. And, he, and to be fair to him, he was very willing to have a go, which again was great for me. Prior to my arrival at Sockland, they used uh, Savills as a kind of management agency and they kind of helped with the budgets and such. And then after a year or two of working with them, uh, they could see that they were no longer offering the service they were before. So they were released and we just used um, as and when basis, but also SEC uh, for MVZs, that sort of stuff. But from my point of view, I really wanted to invest in as much infrastructure as possible that would like the electric fencing, the watering systems um, that showed a, a very fast return on the investment. And uh, the big decision came, we, we applied to be the monitor farm as well, which came just about a couple of years after I'd been at Sockland. So it was a really well-timed thing in that I'd already started to implement some of the big changes and I had a kind of route of direction. I had a vision for what we wanted to achieve, but I could have done with the help of some more experienced people and maybe just the whole monitor farm program just appealed to me because it, it was quite a sociable thing uh, and I do like working with people and there are lots of benefits. Did it make you feel nervous opening the farm up when you were relatively new in the role for other people to come in and potentially judge what you're doing especially when you know neighbours and things had seen what had been going on there for the previous 50 years? It can be a lot of pressure for people to come and you know open your doors and be honest about it. Did that phase you at all? No, I, I genuinely felt like we were on to something really good and this was the future. And it is, it, you know, reducing input costs, reducing feed bills, reducing fertilizer use. Uh, you're in, investing in your soil, which is your best resource. It was a really smart business plan. And I actually was surprised at the lack of immediate neighbors that came along. Uh, a wee bit disappointed really? too. Yeah, because... You had guys coming from quite far away and we had a really, we ended up having a really good core group of members of the kind of community group and it was great fun. But yeah, some of them were immediate closer neighbours who, who, like you say, who drove past the road end and a couple of them, you know, you'd hear the odd comment about, you know, the stock or they, they didn't maybe look as good or it's just a type of breeding of sheep that we had. We moved away from the kind of Scotch mule, Texel lambs, Suffolk lambs to a kind of a composite, um, a maternal composite, which was made up of Romney Cross Aberfields were the first ones. And then we introduced some, again, Romney laterally, but we, we tried some Clin, we tried some Cheviot, 
we you know really tried to sort of test a few breeds out and that all happened during the monitor farm too which was quite good because we got some other insight from other guys and do you think the monitor farm community group do you think they pushed you to try things that you maybe wouldn't have tried your own did you did you get a lot out of the experience yeah a huge amount out of the experience i think i was i wasn't shy of trying things like i think after two meetings i went out and bought a whole new flock of sheep like uh, <laughs> Uh, 500 ewes and lambs I think that everyone kept saying you've got all this grass look at all this grass and uh, you know we just didn't we just didn't have this the sheep or the cattle to eat it all and uh, there was yeah. no point you know making loads and loads of forage that we didn't need so we managed to <laughs> went out and bought 500 ewes from a farm who was dispersing on the borders and they were Romney based ewes uh, used to lambing outside yeah, we took a bit of a punt on that and it was, you know, a big, big investment, but we paid it back within a year because just the way the trade went and it was a bit of a cash flow nightmare at the time, but we, we got through it. But yeah, people were very supportive and it was good for them. You know, I was a bit like the guinea pig guy, you know, you're trying a few things. I wasn't shy of trying things, probably a bit, you know, I'm, I'm that kind of creative, curious kind of mind. I just want to try things. Yeah, because you're into technology and that sort of thing as well for performance recording. And was that new to Suckland as well? Was that something that they'd done before or were you introducing that as well? No, they'd never done anything like that before. So, yeah, technology was coming okay. along uh, just at the time, you know, different programs for logging your your flock and your, your cattle performance on. But I quickly recognised that although I wanted everything to be EID, I wasn't really... Uh, IT savvy enough or didn't have enough time just to to totally fully immerse myself uh, in it and I didn't have probably you know the staff with the right skills either so at one point um, we had quite a change over a staff I had a chap who left who was very good and uh, then I had a, who, he, for various reasons he wanted to go and farm in his own way up north and the other guy we uh we parted ways uh, i won't go into that one but uh that was a bit messier and then uh, i i was on my own for six months or four months sorry using contractors and just battling away i had my wife helping me in the sheep pens you know we just had to get by until i was able to secure the services of owen gray he'd been at the sec farm he applied for the job and he had to work out a four-month notice and he came with a great enthusiasm to learn and he was good on IT. He could okay. understand spreadsheets and he was great for that. So he sort of took on that role of, of capturing all the data. And then together we worked out what our best performing sheep were and uh, he was great at being able to set up the auto drafter, which is another thing we invested in with a bit of funding from QMS as well, which was great innovation grant so yeah Owen and I worked together for it was three years until I you know left end of last year so you were at Southland what five years something like that yeah, no it was uh, almost eight years in the end so in that time what would you say was your your biggest challenge the biggest challenge uh, apart from learning how to manage staff which is an ongoing challenge uh, always will be and every person's different so you have to have a different approach Probably the biggest challenge would have been just delivering the vision. I could see what was potential, what the potential of Sockland was, but it was just being able to actually realise that on the ground. So all the various steps you have to go through to get there from, like I say, installing the watering system, getting the rotation right, managing the livestock health, which is a huge thing. And then obviously some of the winters we had was very variable, but we had some horrendous winters. We had some easy winters. It, it really... 
is very volatile out there, you know, when it comes to weather and markets. So riding those storms was pretty tough. And you always have to have a kind of plan B and a plan C up your sleeve. And and what would you say were your biggest successes while you were there? Biggest successes, I would say, would be, yeah, getting the calving, the cow herd to where I wanted it. We had to sort of sell them off. Uh, everything that calved, that didn't calve in the spring was sold off and we started again. And getting that, that back to a good solid 100 cows that all calved in sort of seven or eight weeks with AI and then natural service was I was really proud of that herd. That was probably the hardest part about leaving was, you know, leaving the cows behind that I'd sort of built up. While you were at Sockland, you won quite a few um, prestigious Farmers Weekly Awards as well. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you won Farm Manager of the Year and uh, AgriScot Sheep Farmer of the Year and overall Farmers Weekly Farmer of the Year as well. So it's quite a lot of awards in that time. How important was it for you to get that recognition of your hard work as well? I think it was important to prove to myself that I could do it. And also there was a couple of people I wanted to prove that I could do it as well, that maybe were doubted, doubters at the start. Yeah, these awards are great. You learn from it. You learn a lot from the process of applying because they, they ask you some really tough questioning uh, questions. And then, well, sorry, even on the interview, the, you know, when, once you make the finals and then they, they come to um, interview you on farm, that's a really tough process and it really does challenge you. And that 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 in itself was a great great experience i had no no thought at all that i'd won it i'd actually thought i'd blown it um on the back of the the judge's visit and i totally wrote it off in terms of thinking that i would even i did want to go to the awards but the awards were cancelled 2020 because of covid so in a way i was kind of relieved but it all went on uh, virtual and uh, yeah i was blown away um, with with the chance but i was lucky i think you know we, we'd rode a really good period on the back of the monitor farm. I had a lot of data, a lot of um, reports, a lot of tangible evidence of what I'd done uh, over my time at the, within the monitor farm and over the five years. And I think that was, you know, really important in terms of the judge's decision. Um, and also just, you know, the shared learning journey we had as a group was really kind of current and the collaboration we had with the arable business uh, at Preston Hall, all these things, you know, even doing school tours and we had some diversification. There was a lot of things going on at Sockland. It's a really exciting place um, and it all just com- culminated together, I think, at, um, at the right time. At that moment, was that when you decided that you needed to start looking for a new challenge? Did you feel like you were at, at your peak at Sockland? Or did you feel that like you needed to... Oh, no, the peak's, the peak's still to come. The peak's still to come. <laughs> But uh, no, uh, yeah, like I delivered the vision that I'd set five years previous or seven years previous, or it was about five years uh, to deliver the, the kind of my, what I set out as my goal. And once we'd achieved that, it, it wasn't like a, I didn't deliberately think I was going to leave. I wasn't really sure because the realization comes that it's not your business. So you keep adding to it and you keep trying to make it better and you, you know, you improve the financial performance. And I was very lucky, like I say, Richard was, you know, really supportive and we, you know, he was willing to, to, you know, look at options to try and, you know, keep me incentivized and what else could we do to keep it exciting and, and challenging. And, you know, that was, that was great. And I, I, we looked at a few options, but I just felt that the time was right where I'd taken the business as far as I felt uh, I wanted to. And I think it was ready for somebody else to come in and give them the opportunity that I'd had. 
and the big stuff had been done for me. Like I felt like it, like I say, I'd, I'd, I'd visualized how it could be run and I got it there. And then I struggled to sort of find another thing that was going to really excite me for another five years. So that was when on the back of the award, I did realize that, you know, I'd probably have a really good CV to go out and try and find an even, you know, a, another job with a, you know, more scope and probably another big challenge. And that's when, you know, I, I thought, yeah, it's, it's just right. It's just the right time to move on. So tell us about the, is it an estate that you're on now or a, a series of farms? Tell us about where you are now. So yeah, there's uh, two two farming estates in, in Perthshire, uh, one here at Bridge of Cali, uh, Ashmore and Strone, um, and the other up at Spittle of Glenshee, Dalmungi estate, totaling 8,000 acres. Now, 6,500 of that's, you know, hill uh, up at Dalmungi. Yeah. But, you know, it was a really exciting opportunity to come work with the Angst family. So they're in a kind of a bit of a transition period uh, as well. The, the, the son and daughter... Gabriella and Frederick Angst are just starting to become uh, heavily involved in the business and they were looking for somebody to come in and help uh, take the business forward and uh, reevaluate the kind of farming systems that have been running very um, traditionally probably for the last 20 odd years. So, you know, there's, there's a huge scope here. There's a, you know, it's not quite uh, as straightforward as Sockland in, in terms of the layout, it's it's a totally different challenge. I'm still in that early stage of trying to figure out what the potential is of the place. And what livestock have you got there? So there's 1,700 breeding ewes and there's about just 100 suckler cows um, as the main core sort of ag- livestock part of the business. Um, there's not really any cropping. We can grow some forage crops, which we're trying this year, and we can... Uh, potentially grow some feed or feed barley or oats but it's not yeah it's an upland place it's steep it's rolling hills it's got a lot of woodland rivers and um, there's many different challenges when it comes to you know water sources the logistics of moving around the estate because it's there's there's three different sort of steading areas so yeah logistically it's it's a lot more challenging so we're still, like I say, I'm still trying to figure out what the best system will be going forward. Do you think it'll lend itself to a rotational grazing system for some of the in-by ground, or is it not going to be possible to do that? Yeah, I think there's 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 opportunity to 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 tighten up the grazing. The fields are quite large. Power, solar panels, and uh, mobile sort of energizers will be a a bit play a big part in that. It'll be easier in the summer, obviously, than winter, and um, with the shorter daylight hours, but. Yeah, I think we can increase. I'm, I'm think I'm hoping we can increase the cow numbers to balance the sheep, um, and get a bit better control in the grazing, uh, and and hopefully again cheapen the wintering costs. Um, is the big yeah. thing in these businesses when you've got a short summer period, uh, and a long winter. You know, winter costs are, are the biggest, the biggest thing. So if we can cheapen the winter, I think we can see a you know a boost to sort of profitability here. Are they housing all the cattle in the winter at the moment and some of the sheep or is it? So it's 50-50. There's, there's cows are made up of uh, there's about 40 pure highlanders, um, which are outwintered um, and they're crossed with a cemental bull. And the, there's a, a sort of 50 herd of, of cross cows, which are inwintered on slatted sheds or straw courts. Okay. So I'd like to think we can do a slightly better uh, wintering system and again, integrate some sort of rotation with forage crops 
Um, but there's so many challenges. I mean, just looking at the slopes and the, the you know, the the drainage and the and the water and yeah, there's just it's just a lot more harder to figure out. You can't just plow every field like you could at Southland. And with the current challenges that are going on in the global climate at the moment, with you know the climate change and all the political issues and and prices of fertilizer and and all input costs are going up and not necessarily matched by prices that you'd be seeing when you're selling your animals. Does that factor in your plans at the moment or are you just hoping to ride out as you get settled in and see how things go? Yeah, I'm not hasty. I don't want to, you know, rush into making any radical changes or, you know, set my my, my stall out too soon. Uh, I think I need to assess what's being done well at the moment, uh, what can be done better. Uh, what the the challenges are here when it comes to wintering as well. Um, it's a totally different climate. We're at a thousand feet and we go up to three and a half thousand feet, so it's totally different. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's not a lot of farming at three and a half thousand feet, but there, there's just a lot more things to to consider. So it is a bigger challenge and it's a more complex challenge. I've considering organic as an option just because we don't. I don't think we need to use a lot of fertilizer and sprays but again you know from my point of view at the moment I'm still I feel like I've been commissioned to to, you know to paint a portrait but I don't quite know who I'm painting yet so the way I see it is like I'm still trying to gather information from the owners about what's important to them and what their vision for the future in the business and together we've got to kind of build that vision and then I'll then set about a plan of how we get there and and uh, hopefully that'll you know motivate the staff to sort of all ensure we're all pulling in the same direction. Yeah, you come across as someone that's really naturally quite positive and motivated. How do you keep yourself positive when you know? Obviously, as I was saying, with the, the global situation at the moment, there are a lot of challenges. How do you keep yourself feeling positive when you're in a new business? I'm not like. farming I think I have like other interests as well so I like to apply um, a lot of energy to to my farming but I give myself a lot of break from it as well so like I'm into uh, keeping fit and uh, I always I make an effort every day to be at the gym or to be out running um, just for even an hour a day um, just to give me maybe that break and that kind of separate interest that gives me, I, I think it gives me more energy. And it's just that kind of balance of work and life. And I've got a young family now too, so they're really important to me. I love spending time with my kids. So whatever we do here and whatever the business is going to be, it has to allow for family time, time off. And you know that's really important to my staff as well, that I want them to be able to enjoy their time on the farm, but the system's got to be sustainable in the sense that it's not just financially and environmentally sustainable, it's got to be sustainable for them and their lifestyles too. And so the, all these things have got to come together. Yeah, absolutely. Did you find it a challenge moving from, so Southland is in Midlothian and, and you're from East Lothian, did you find it a challenge moving away from family and you know, moving your wife and your kids up there? Obviously she's moved with you. How's that been moving away from having that family support round about you? Yeah, it's early days. We've only been here for what five or six weeks now, and yeah, it's tough, okay. you know, not having, uh, having, you know, seeing mum and dad every day or every couple of days. But they're only an hour and a half away. We haven't moved to the other side of the world, so and you know, we're fortunate now. We have a lovely big uh, farmhouse where we can have guests come and stay, and it's pretty beautiful up here. So people want to come and visit too. 
so yeah, I'm not too concerned about that side of things. I'm only an hour away from Edinburgh, really, um, yeah. so I can catch up with friends. And I'm fortunate, you know, people in in the area seem very friendly too. But you know, friends and family are only a couple hours away, really. When Doug Avery, the resilient farmer from New Zealand, was over, you did some interviews and things with him, which I watched, which were brilliant, just about his attitude to resilience. And it is all about having that support network, isn't it? And it sounds like you're building that into your own life by having your own daily exercise as your sort of escape, isn't it, from business life? Absolutely. Yeah. Like the harder I work, the harder I have to train, the harder I have to play. It's all, you know, it's a balancing act. It's, uh, I, I think one of the, going back to the monitor farm experience, what taught me, you know, that uh, during that process with working with like Colin McPhail and Fergus Younger, uh, who are now great friends as well, was about building your team. You can't do everything yourself. You need your guys on the ground to be better at that side of the job than you are can't be an expert in everything and you can't be a jack of all trades if you want to make a you know really strong business you've got to be able to identify who's good at what and and delegate and grow a business and to run a business of a decent size I think that's going to be even more important in this role is not to get too tied up with the hands-on stuff myself as much as I love farming and I I'm not shy of a hard day's work physical hard day's work I've got to be careful that I don't get too involved in in the day-to-day it's got to be very much keeping an eye on the bigger picture and making the most of of the staff we have and the kind of if it's contractors in the area to do certain jobs it's just it's just keeping the whole thing uh, alive and 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 everybody motivated is is probably my my role do you think that's easier to do when you've come into the business rather than being in a family business from the start? I mean, you've chosen, because of your interest in livestock rather than arable, to move away from the family business. Do you think it's easier as an outsider coming in to manage things in that way rather than you know growing up into a business where you've then got to fight with a father or mother or other mm. business partners that you've got to, to, to change things? Do you feel it's easier being a, a manager or do you think it has its own challenges? Yeah, I've never really thought about that. I guess me not having my dad like telling me like this is the way we've always done it is you know it makes it easier for me to sort of have get my kind of vision implemented. But also, you know, I've got staff that have historically been here a long time, and and they yeah, they'll take time to mold uh, or to sort of show them there's other ways of doing things, and how you do that is a is a challenging process in itself. And trying to get them to buy into the changes that we're looking to make and understand why we're making them, but yeah, I, I think maybe as a, as a as a family business, I know at home. I mean, I still have aspirations of developing home and and having something there that I can I can grow and be proud of. But at the moment, it's it's been you know it's been my dad's business and it's not a particularly large arable business, so he's happy with how he's done it, um, and he's now looking to sort of retire so we've actually put brought in some contractors to do the arable work um so we you know we still have the business but we're not he's not actually doing the tractor work anymore so hopefully that goes well this year and then we'll see what the future holds what top tips would you give to someone starting out in agriculture oh uh, i would say you know you got to be curious you've got to question the jobs uh, that you're doing do you need to do them is there another way? Uh, there's loads of people out there trying things. It's never been easier to find or get in touch with people through social media. Generally, the people that are trying some innovative stuff are, are, are all over social media anyway. Um, yeah. So yeah, just be resourceful as possible and as open-minded and, uh, and and maybe try things, but don't 
go all in. You know, you could try a wee bit or, or do a wee trial and be malleable. If you're going to make progress, you have to make steady steps and keep moving in one direction. If you keep chopping and changing, I don't think you'll ever judge or gauge whether you've made any progress or not. So you've got to have a plan is, is important. But like I say, be a wee bit light-footed about how you get there. What drives you personally? Why do you do what you do? Oh, there's all sorts of things I would say that motivate me. It depends on what area. I don't know why I don't just settle for an easy life. I sometimes uh, <laughs> sometimes think I don't know what, what kind of the main driver is for, for taking on the kind of bigger projects. Um, I suppose it's just my my energy and my, my love for, for all things farming and nature. I just want to be a part of something that's... Um, going to be quite as or as significant as it can be for my for my life I don't know if that answers your question I don't know no, it does that's great that's great so finally Pete what is success for you and how do you measure it success for me I would say is is my happiness and the happiness of my family and the team here how do you measure it oh, very difficult you know as long as I feel like we are approaching each day with enthusiasm and a willingness to get better and not be scared of having a go or being curious or looking to improve what can we improve these are the you know these are the things that excite me and keep me motivated so yeah as long as I'm happy and I've got a good balance and I feel physically happy and mentally happy then I would say that's a great success. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Agriculture. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, follow and subscribe to our show. Leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can find our contact details in the show notes below. If you enjoyed listening to Agriculture, you may enjoy some of our other podcasts, such as Cropcast, Stock Talk and The Rural Roundup. You can find these by searching for the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Come back next month for the next episode. If you enjoyed listening to this episode... Please make sure to follow the link in the show notes so that you can subscribe directly to the Agriculture Show.